Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. And joining me this way, over here to my immediate south, see you're in the wrong positions. Let's 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 reorganize yeah, this for YouTube. Yeah. To my to my immediate south is Chris Gullo, and to my east is Jesse Collings. Hello. 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 Gullo looks like you're actually in Boston, as a matter of fact. Yes. Yeah. My legendary wrestling venue this week is the Boston Garden. Where are you? Are you back are in the eighties? Advertising... Where you can still have... <laughs> yeah, back in the eighties, they could still advertise cigarettes uh, in an arena. So, America's quality cigarettes. What brand of cigarettes is that? Uh, no idea the, the photo cut off of that so okay okay what, what are we talking about today uh yeah so today uh we're gonna talk about uh dwayne johnson commenting on possibly investing in wwe the one day ratings war was cm punk a draw for AEW, and uh AEW and cm punk reportedly negotiating a buyout of punk's contract that and much more here on wrestlenomics radio yes and if uh, people want to, oh, well, let's, let's say first, this coming Tuesday, we have a talk that Jesse and I had with the administrator of Cage Match, at least one of the founders of Cage Match, Philip Crickenbaum. So look for that on Tuesday. That will be out on YouTube and in your free podcast feed that you may be listening to this. Whatever you're listening to this in right now is where that will be on Tuesday morning. Um, so check that out. If people want to participate today, Chris Gall, how do they do so? Yeah, so you're watching on the YouTube stream there. You'll see where you can write a comment. There's a little dollar sign in there. You press that box and put any amount you see fit. We'll try to answer them throughout the show if we can. If not, we will get it at the end of the show. Yes. So this week, uh, as I look for the the note here. So this is according to The Observer by way of, of uh, John Pollock's report on post-wrestling. The Wrestling Observer Newsletter reports that those close to the situation have informed the publication stated that the two sides, that is AEW and CM Punk, are in talks regarding a buyout of CM Punk's contract with AEW. The Observer added that the sticking point is the non-compete period that Punk would be forced to abide by. Dave Meltzer opined that the non-compete clause only would only be a factor if WWE was an option for Punk as no other wrestling promotion would be able to pay the performer what he was earning in AEW other than the industry leader. It was reported earlier this week that Lance Lance Steele, Ace Steele, who's a producer and uh, someone from the Chicago indie scene, that Ace Steele has been released by the promotion. Of course, he is uh, alleged to have bitten Kenny Omega as part of the all-out fight after the presser in September. Um, so could, could CM Punk end up going back to, to WWE at some point? Um, and a goal, you were, you were asserting some opinions and questions off air. You're muted. Speak. You're muted. You're muted. 
I'm good. I wasn't speaking when I was trying to find my unmute button. All right, yeah. Um, I just can't see this happening. I don't think CM Punk ever just appears in a wrestling ring ever again. Uh, we are led to believe that, and I think he kind of commented this on Cabana's podcast, that Triple H was a huge factor in CM Punk's not being happy with being in WWE. And now Triple H is in charge. It's his show. He's the guy. Um, I just, and they're just, there's so much like, yeah, there was a little backstage incident and backstage reporting at AEW, but I mean, they fired the guy in his wedding day. There was medical issues. Like, I feel like the WWE breakup was a lot harder than this AEW breakup as far as like things that happened. Well, no, no one bit him. Or wait, wait, that's the other way around. Well, yeah, yeah. He, no one bit him, no. <laughs> so. um, did, um, do we know if WWE has tried to get CM Punk to come back and wrestle for them before CM Punk has uh, signed with AEW? Do we know for a fact, like, if WWE has reached out to Punk in between the window when he left WWE and before he came back to AEW? So that- re- reportedly before he went to AEW last year. WWE did have some sort of contact with him. Right. So I guess the assumption is why do people now think that CM Punk would come back to WWE when he didn't for like what, almost 10 years, eight years? Um, yeah, 2014, early 2014. Yeah. Uh, so the reason people believe that is because Punk has come back to wrestling and he's appeared in AEW and he's shown that he's capable of wrestling, I guess, for a short period of time. Um, so that's changed, I guess, in that sense that now we know Punk is, can still be a wrestler, but it, to me, it doesn't really make a difference. Like just because he wrestled in AEW doesn't mean he's necessarily more likely to go back to WWE. He probably still harbors some of those hard feelings towards WWE. He could be even more likely to just be burned out of wrestling entirely. Now that something has not only has he been burned out of WWE, but he appears to have been burned out of AEW as well. So he might just wash his hands of the full thing. Um, I mean, anything's possible in wrestling. Anybody can come back, but I would be surprised if Punk came back to WWE um, for the reasons you mentioned Gallo and for just what we know about him as a personality is that he's not going to, just come back because he feels like he has to wrestle and he feels like this is the only thing he's good at. He's perfectly fine sitting at home and sitting on his pile of money and, and living, doing whatever else he wants to do that isn't pro wrestling. Yes. And we, we have one more note here for from Fightful. Fight, Fightful, according to their sources, Vince McMahon would have brought, this is according to a Fightful source, Vince McMahon would have brought CM Punk in, especially after Brawl Out, and noted that Fox had pushed for it, that is for Punk to go back to WWE. Uh, before AEW signed him. However, the line of thinking that was presented under the Triple H regime is that the right situation, right money, and right creative can leave the door open for, quote, anything within reason, end quote. One said that Triple H wants to be a success and make compelling programming more than anything. CM Punk back in WWE is compelling programming, but I can't see it being a full-time deal like what he has in AEW because of exactly what happened in AEW. That's even if he has interest in it. If he gets a buyout, he may not need to work again. So that, that is from Fightful. Um, that was certainly a Fightful uh, couple things. There's um, probably going to be... Sorry. I was going to say, probably going to be a no-compete in that buyout, and who knows how be. But also, too, the, I want to bring up, because we have people bringing up in the chat, too, the Fox show, right? Now, that was obviously a Fox deal. He was a Fox employee... Backstage. For the talking smack, yeah, backstage, yeah. 
was there a WWE official that was like executive producer on that? Like, was that like Pritchard uh, or was, I don't think, I don't think Triple H was attached to that or maybe even Vince McMahon. Was there like a WWE official that would help, was helping produce that or? I'm sure that would be very involvement, but I doubt that there's much direct involvement from, from people whose names we would recognize at WWE. Yeah. Um, Okay. But I think my impression is that it was a, it was a Fox show with W talent and W cooperation. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't know if maybe they were in the same room together, him and Paula Beck. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I would imagine if there is a buyout, which we don't know if there's going to be, uh, if they can come to some agreement on a buyout, then, then that probably avoids a lawsuit between Philip Brooks, Philip J Brooks and, and all elite wrestling LLC. Um, but I, as far as we know, there is no, lawsuit someone was asking me earlier this week whether there might already be some sort of legal record related to this as far as we know there's there's nothing um and i, I do have alerts set up to to tell me anytime uh there's there's something involving AEW, and we have seen some minor litigation as far as like um there was there was something that came up uh, a, a complaint about the AEW website not being uh accessible to to blind people and things like that so so it's we we have evidence that those alerts are working and that we will have access to things that uh, that are legal complaints and, and litigation that does involve AEW. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him on a short term basis with with WWE if it comes to it. If there's, I mean, he, he is close with Paul Heyman, and Paul Heyman is is involved in in WWE still. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him at some point on a short term basis, maybe as this report and this source from Fightful sort of alludes to probably not something that's on a long-term or permanent basis, but maybe something that's, you know, a short contract where there's a kind of a, a, a creative outline of what's going to happen. And then he's sort of done. And if that goes well, maybe they bring him back after that. But, um, so was CM Punk really a draw as, as, as people know, the, uh, the most important thing that, you, that uh, you can determine from talent analytics is whether or not your favorite wrestler is a draw and that your least favorite wrestler is not a draw. That's why I've, I've been testing out the idea of uh, rolling out an OnlyFans uh, where I, I create visualizations, chart visual, you know, data visualizations based on fake data that affirms exactly what you want to hear about your favorite and least favorite wrestlers, wrestling personalities, and wrestling companies. Uh, but seriously, someone was asking uh, earlier this week about whether or not CM Punk is a raw, is a, is a draw or a TV ratings draw. So I've dug into some data or, earlier this week. And we do have, as we can see on the screen here, all of these instances, which maybe, you know, doesn't look like a lot, but uh, we do have all these instances, which is, I, I would say, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. We have 14 instances where the quarter-to-quarter change, that is the, the viewership from his quarter to the prior quarter, was 5% more than usual. Usual means what was it like over the, the prior, the trailing four weeks. So you have all these instances on Dynamite where... Punk was in a quarter that really grew the 18 to 49 viewership in excess of what that quarter on the show usually does. Um, ideally, I would like to look at this against other wrestlers and to see what other wrestlers 
how, how they compare other top names. Um, but this is a lot. Um, it, it is not the case that I think everybody expects, especially in the days where we didn't have access to quarter hours. I think the, it was, it's easy to assume that you would see the quarter hours and then the biggest stars would have the biggest quarter hours. And the people who are not stars would not have strong performing quarter hours. But what happens in quarter hours is that ads affect quarter hours. The position on the show where you're at affect quarter hours. So finding evidence of someone being a draw in quarter hours is a lot more difficult than people might think it is. Um, so I, I, I think this is a lot to show that a preponderance of instances where somebody, and I'm, and I'm looking at this column here that's highlighted in yellow, to say the, this is the excess to which he, had, he made a positive difference or he coincided with a positive difference from the prior quarter. And we have a number of instances on Rampage where this happened also. And we have the debut of CM Punk, which is not a quarter-to-quarter difference, but the, the second episode of Rampage, which contained his debut, uh, had 1.3 million viewers for that opening quarter. I believe it averaged something similar throughout, um, which is, I think if, if that's the, the only viewership that is bigger than that, I think, I think there might be a, a Dynamite in September 2021, that had 1.3 million viewers, but the debut episode in October 2019 had 1.4 million viewers. Uh, Rampage never came close to this now, and Rampage is doing something like 400 or 500,000 viewers now. Um, and then, on pay-per-view, we have a number of pay-per-views now that have happened in AEW's history. CM Punk has been on five of them. The five best-selling pay-per-views in AEW's history are the five pay-per-views that CM Punk has appeared on. He's only appeared on five. All five of them are the best-selling pay-per-views for AEW. AEW has done four $1 million gates. The first three of them, the first one was for his main event match with Hangman Adam Page at Double or Nothing of this year. The second one was Forbidden Door, which he did not appear on, but most of the tickets were sold before he was injured on June 1st. So I would say this, this event was sold with the natural assumption that he would be on the show. He was going to wrestle Tanahashi, right? He ended up being injured and did not. And then the third $1 million gate for AEW was at All Out, after which he got into a fight with everybody. Uh, so he's, I'm saying he's a TV ratings draw. Well, there's evidence that he's a TV ratings draw, a pay-per-view draw, a tickets, ticket selling draw. Um, and then we could look at merchandise. I, this is some record of scrapes that I've been doing of Shop AEW and Pro Wrestling Tees, where we've got two samples here, basically just showing what we'll see in the screenshots from the websites themselves, that if you go to the menu on Shop AEW or Pro Wrestling Tees, which are very similar websites that are both powered by Pro Wrestling Tees, and you go to this Top Sellers menu button, and you sort by Top Sellers by year, you'll see what I'm guessing are the top 10 items that are the top 10 best-selling items on, in this case... Shop AEW, four of the 10 are CM Punk items. Similar if you look at Pro Wrestling Tees, four of the 10 are CM Punk items. Um, if that's not enough for you, we can look at YouTube videos. The top, I've, what we've got here is for every month for this year, we have the top 10 most viewed YouTube videos for AEW's channel. And in January of that top 10, there's three that have punk in it. In February, there's two that have punk in it. 
In March, there's three that have punk in it. In April, there's two that have punk in it. In May, there's just one that has punk in it. In June, there's two that has punk in it. In July, there's none. He's injured that month. In August, there's two that have, three that have punk in it. And in September, despite only being on AEW television for, for a brief time before All Out happened early in the month, in September, there's two that have punk in it. In Google Trends, he is the most searched for wrestling personality until Soraya arrives recently. And, and it's by a, a pretty decent margin. It's, he's got more web search volume than Paul White, even though Paul White barely wrestles. He, he's been around for a long time. He has a, a, a name that people apparently search for a lot. But it's a pretty big margin before we find somebody who's actually an active wrestler in AEW, and that's Jeff Hardy. After that, it's John Moxley. And they're, and they're, get, they're at like a, in, in this index that's not a real quantity it's not not like a value of searches but it's a it's a relative value that we get but john mox is at a 0.44 for the year jeff hardy is at a 0.53 punk is at you know if we say moxley punk is at about double what moxley is for the year now some of that is driven by this big number that he did in september as people were probably searching for him and what, what the latest news story was which is not necessarily indicative of him being a draw but even if we look back here He's still the name with often the most web search among AEW people. So, will CM Punk by far AEW's biggest draw, or will AEW business be okay without him? The answer is yes. To both, I think. The answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, any, any, any thoughts, comments, or questions on that? One thing I would say is that I think it's, in an era where it's very difficult to kind of prove individual drawing power, I think Punk was in a lot of ways, at least in the major American wrestling promotion um, companies, the most obvious singular business mover for full-time active talent. I think you could point to all the evidence that you just went over, Brandon, um, of the positive impact that Punk was having on business in a variety of ways. I think my question would be, after all that data would be, was Punk a big, AEW's biggest draw? Yes. But was his drawing power waning the longer he was around? And what kind of drawing power does he have now that AEW is losing if he leaves? If we believe that he leaves, what kind of drawing power is Punk taking with him at this I, I stage think, of his career? I think he's he was both still AEW's strongest draw by far. And I think AEW will also be okay without him, if not be only because in the big picture, I think AEW is still going to be able to get a strong TV deal without him. They have enough depth and enough other talent to to continue being a, a strong number two wrestling company. Um, why do I think that that he's still a, a draw in in his later months of of being AEW? Um, we can look at. Some of these well, quarter hours. I, I think he certainly is, but I don't think he's nearly the kind of draw he was at the start of his return. You weren't going to be able to to get that. It didn't matter what you did. You weren't going to be able to create the anticipation of seeing CM Punk return to wrestling for the first time in seven years or the first CM Punk match that did the huge all-out pay-per-view buy uh, number for, for his match against Darby Allen. You just weren't going to be able to recreate that anticipation and so over time his drawing power was going to wane he's still the top draw in AEW but he's not the same kind of draw that he was at the start because it's impossible and I'm not saying that as like a knock on him it's just impossible for you to kind of create that 
again. And so with Punk leaving, is he that big of a um, is he really that big of a business mover at this stage relative to AEW's roster? Probably, but in the grand scheme of things, is it a massive, massive loss? I don't, I don't think so. I think it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a real loss. But I think AEW will be okay first of all financially because of because of TV rights that don't largely depend on him. But the consumer areas will be weaker without him. Um, I think, yes, we can, you can look at the, the second episode of Rampage and the enormous rating that it did and everything else after it did. And the, the, the record pay-per-view buys that All Out 2021 did and that everything after it, it did, which was much lower. There's that novelty and that return of CM Punk that can't be repeated. But I don't feel that his his drawing power is in in the months following, let's say, you know, early 2022. I don't feel that he's drastically weaker early this year versus later this year. Um, I th- you could look at All Out and look at how All Out of this year was lower than either Revolution or Double or Nothing. That's true. Maybe some of that has to do with how the Moxley match was built. Um, and, I, and I think even if you look, look now um, at, we were looking at the, the top merchandise of the year, but even if I look at you know, what's, what's listed on PWTs for just this week um, as, as the top items, and I think we're, st- we're still seeing, I mean, not on PWTs, no, I guess not. I was going to say maybe we're still seeing some punk items. I think we are still still seeing some punk items up there, but I think he's, he's still a a pretty strong wrestling star and pretty strong wrestling attraction. Um, and I think there's still a lot of business to do with him if 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 he could you know stay healthy and be a good addition to morale, which is definitely uh, proved not to be the case. Yeah, Brandon, uh, just to kind of touch on what you said, there was some marquee matchups still left on the table. Uh, The rematch with MJF, Punk and Omega, uh, which uh, we never got. Did we ever get Punk and Danielson in AEW? I don't think, I don't remember if we did or not. But that that, that, there was Punk Punk and uh, Adam Cole. There was some big money matches left on the table, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, that they could have done a lot. But maybe, maybe in a year from now, his interest, but I think it still had been pretty steady. Well, now I think that if you were to bring him, if you were to somehow manage to smooth things over and bring him back, there's is anticipation to see him back because of the backstage fight at all out and his press conference and how he's exited the company for the time being that if he is were to come back sometime next year after recovers from surgery and, they're able to smooth everything over. There would be a lot of anticipation and something like a CM Punk hangman page match would probably be big box office for AEW. Um, so there's that element to it as well, but that's all unknown. We don't know what kind of business that would do. We just presume that it would have a lot of hype. Um, what's the, if you had the entire world of wrestling talent and you're booking a, a pay-per-view, let's say what, what, What's the main event that you would want to book? I have one in mind. We'll see if, if anyone. What is the question? What, what is the biggest main event match that you could possibly book for a pay per view right now? If in, you have in, all the talent in, in the world. Right. 
Um, I would say it's probably Tai Chi versus Orange Cassidy. Who's Tai? Oh, Tai. No, the, uh, tai Chi. <laughs> New Japan for wrestling. Um, I would say right now, all the talent at my disposal. For maximum pay-per-view buys. And let's imagine ideal build. Nothing is we, – we don't do a Bret Hart, Vince McMahon build where somebody gets hit with a car or something. For 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 numbers, man. For me, it'd be different. I would say it would have to be not not your personal taste, but what would I know the most money. I know. Would CM Punk be in it? I would say. Who are the two biggest stars in wrestling? John Cena's one of them. John Cena. Okay, The Rock. I guess. Now, now, I'm, now, now, I have to like adjust the limiters here. <laughs> Give me people who are. I know this answer, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Who? What is it called? No, no rock, no Cena. It, it's Reigns versus, it's versus Punk. Yeah. Roman Reigns versus CM Punk. Yeah, I think so. And WWE maybe could pull that off. We'll see. Um, with uh, And I think that's a, that's a... Not Brock Lesnar. Punk versus Lesnar. Who's a big... That, so that who's the biggest... Happened? Who would be a bigger business mover, Reigns um, or Brock Lesnar? For just picking the biggest opponents. Like who is it, who has bigger who would have bigger cachet? I think Reigns versus Punk would be a much more interesting matchup for people like for us because of the mix of of WWE Reigns as like the WWE flagship guy versus CM Punk. But mm-hmm. is Lesnar a bigger name than Reigns? And would Lesnar and and Punk um, two stars from an era where wrestling was more popular in a way? Um, well, I think I think like I think Reigns versus Punk is a fresher match because it's not a match that has happened ever as a as a big match. Lesnar versus Punk has happened once, granted, almost ten years ago. Um, but that's and I think there's a broader like real wrestling story in in the in the Punk and and Reigns dynamic in that Punk was somebody who was leaving the company just as. Reigns was being pushed very, very hard. Uh, something that is encapsulated in in Punk's comments about you got to keep Roman strong that I think makes for a, a especially interesting dynamic there. And didn't the Shield debut attacking CM Punk? Yeah, like yeah, I mean you could tie all that Before in. We, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I think the story is more interest. Like I think the story is more interesting. Reigns versus Punk for sure. I think Reigns versus Omega would be even more interesting personally. But the um. But I think if you're just going biggest box office, who's reaching the most kind of casual fans, who is kind of reaching fans that don't normally watch the product and will be interested in buying this pay-per-view that we're promoting. And so I would think Lesnar versus uh, Punk might reach a bigger audience than that. I, I think I think Roman Reigns is – I don't think it's it's clear that, Ro- that Brock Lesnar is a bigger draw today in 2022 than, than Roman Reigns. We don't see – in, in, the, in the merchandise data, I'm starting to, to collect and, and see. We don't see a ton of Brock Lesnar merchandise. Maybe some of that is self-fulfilling prophecy from there being a lot more Reigns merchandise than Lesnar merchandise. But well, we that's see... Reigns' entire career is a self-fulfilling prophecy based on getting over by attrition, personally. I was talking about Reigns, though. There is, there's a lot of Reigns merchandise versus there's probably not nearly as much Lesnar merchandise. In any, in any case, what I'm seeing so far is that we see a lot of, like right now we're seeing some Usos. Um, but, but also in a little bit of Bray, a lot of Bray Wyatt, but, but Reigns and Steve Austin, uh, seem to be really big merchandise movers on wshop.com in the last couple months. Um, Reigns 
is usually above Lesnar in web search, if that indicates something. Um, and I think some, some of the biggest YouTube videos were, were Reigns and, and Lesnar. Um, but some of the, some of the, the big YouTube videos were, were Reigns without Lesnar too. Um, there isn't as much quarter hour data to say that, uh, that Reigns is doing really, really well and affecting quarter hours. But I, but I do think Reigns is. It's not clear to me that like Reigns is not the draw that that Lesnar is. So, moving on to, uh, let's see here, the Wednesday night. Oh no, the Tuesday night one day war between Dynamite and NXT. Um, we did go over this on Wednesday, uh, but I. But I can basically highlights here is that the the MJF and Real promo, other than this opening quarter, this opening quarter here, which was over one million viewers, as Dynamite had a strong lead in from inside the MLB, which was the post game show of the Yankees and Guardians. Uh, other than that enhanced quarter, we do have the the leading quarter is the eight forty five to nine PM quarter for Dynamite with Real and MJF, their live promo, which was almost entirely that fifteen minutes. Um, that does coincide with a decrease in NXT viewership. But after that, in total viewership, NXT did exceed Dynamite in two quarters. Something that we didn't talk about um, on Wednesday is that that does coincide so what we had here was the quarter, the nine PM quarter, especially for Dynamite lost 22% of the total viewership, similar in the demo, uh, which had a lot of stuff in it. It had an acclaimed promo. It had a Brian Danielson, Wheeler, Yuta angle. It had a Chris Jericho and Dalton Castle first half of their match. Lost 22% of the viewers. Meanwhile, this the same quarter at the same time, which had a camera for NXT, had a camera grinds and OC versus Schism match, gained 10% of the viewership. What also happened there was the Sixers and Celtics game increased by 17%. Padres and Phillies increased a little bit too, but it, it looks like the what I'm guessing is the the end of of this game between the Celtics and Sixers, whatever was going on there, uh, did increase viewership and coincides with the decrease in in AEW. Um, any other thoughts on the uh, the Wednesday Night War before we go to our to evaluate our predictions? Oh, the Tuesday Night War, the one day Tuesday Night War. Tuesday Night War. Thank you. I know, and in the grand scheme of things, it feels meaningless, correct, in the sense that this isn't something that's going to happen regularly. It's really hard to judge AEW's performance based on the fact that they weren't on there at the normal night. Um, NXT held up. NXT improved, um, which I kind of predicted. I thought that NXT would do just as well um, as they normally would, despite the competition. Uh, for I think NXT's audience has proven to be, while perhaps not as... Uh, numerous as it once was to be very durable when it comes to competition and very reliable um, when it comes to tuning in every week. And I do think that with Triple H's return to power, that NXT has seen kind of a direct uh, increase in, in interest in viewership. I don't, I don't think the show is that much different um, since Triple H took over, but I think that the idea that Triple H is back in charge of WWE and NXT is more important and matters uh I think that that attitude is kind of taken back uh, over some of the fan base, and that's led to the increase in, in interest in NXT again. And this demo that NXT did, a point one eight, was the highest demo that NXT has done since August, despite going against Dynamite, despite going against the return of 
the NBA regular season on TNT. There's some NHL going on here, too. There's a baseball playoff game on FS1. NXT, nonetheless, did its, its highest demo in months. It, it almost makes me wonder, like, especially when we look back on what happened after the Wednesday Night War, where Dynamite was benefited by not having to be opposed by NXT. But NXT continued to decrease in viewership over that time. Partly, I believe that's the content. I think a big part of what's happening here, though, is that there, the, there, there was a younger audience that watched NXT this past Tuesday night that does not usually watch NXT, at least to this extent, who tuned in because maybe because of the main roster talent, but maybe also because of this, this head-to-head competition. Um, I mean, NXT's not going to go back to Wednesday, but I almost wonder if they would if NXT would be doing better viewership if it was continuing to be head-to-head with, with Dynamite uh, or if this is just, just a one-off occurrence. I mean, if you were to examine the Wednesday Night War, I think it would start off that way with NXT doing better as, as the novelty of a head-to-head wrestling fight and reigniting kind of the wrestling war and getting the people interested in watching NXT again because you feel like NXT's got to be big and got to be important if they're driving against direct wrestling competition. Over time, would that viewership decline because eventually you can't keep up that momentum? Uh, You can't always keep up that momentum for its entirety. You have to eventually start booking angles and matches that people want to see. You start hot-shotting things and things like that. Um, People lose interest, which is what happened to NXT when it was head-to-head with Dynamite. Um, so I, I, but it is an interesting idea that the idea, the idea of if you're a, if you're a WWE fan, the idea of being part of that competition, being an NXT viewer, sticking it to AEW, or supporting WWE in this in this contest against AEW, gives you, a, I think, at least a short term boost in interest. And the idea that the com- NXT will have to do stuff big to keep up with AEW makes you more interested as a fan and tuning in. And. Uh... Our predictions. The actual result was 752,000 viewers for, for Dynamite. I predicted 780. Gold predicted 870. Jesse predicted 890. So I think I'm the closest there for, for the Dynamite total viewership. Uh, only 4% off. Uh, but when it comes to the NXT total viewership, it was 676. I predicted 560. Gold predicted 660. Jesse predicted 710. So Gullah was the closest there, only off by 2%. In the demo, Diamond did a 0.26. I predicted a 0.24. Gullah predicted a 0.30. Jesse predicted a 0.29. I guess I was the closest there on the demo. And the NXT demo, a 0.18. I was way off, a 0.10. Gullah predicted a 0.12. And Jesse predicted a 0.14. So Jesse is the closest there. If you add up the absolute differences by percentage, I was the furthest off. I really threw myself on, on the NXT demo, and Jesse is the closest. And Golo, you're right in the middle. Right in the middle. Yeah. So. All right, Brandon, you're off WrestleNomics. That's how it goes. Just me and Golo now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, maybe we'll have to do uh, WrestleNomics Jeopardy sometime to uh, to, uh, to for this competition. Uh, so anyway, again, if you want to do super chat. You can, you can do that. It will answer your question. Um, I've, got, I've got a bunch of stuff here to go through about. Um, this is from Bloomberg, just looking at the, the increase in TV rights fees, which have grown exponentially. There's no data attached to this, this uh, infographic from, from Bloomberg, 
but it looks like it's grown for the NFL at a much higher rate than the rest. It's grown a lot for all these other players, including the NBA, MLB, NHL, MLS. I'm curious why they, they include the MLS. I wonder if there's just like this U.S. bias about like a, a U.S.-based soccer league as opposed to Premier League, which is definitely the biggest soccer league, right? Soccer fans, can, football fans can correct me here. Um, I'm not but sure. I, but I thought this was interesting from from 1980 all the way to the present to, to go from, I don't know what, what this is at the start, to over $15 billion in live sports fees just between these five leagues. Um Meanwhile, they're they're still providing a lot of the the major most watched telecasts, with along with some things like Jeopardy, the Thanksgiving Day Parade, award shows, uh, political debates, uh, the Olympics, and yes, of course, the Big Bang Theory. When, when did the Big Big Bang Theory is listed here? When did the Big Bang Theory stop airing new episodes? Let's say like twenty fourteen, maybe a little bit later than that. And this is the the top 100 annual most watched broadcast 2018 to 2021. And there's nine Big Bang Theory episodes. These are all reruns? Big Bang Theory aired from 2007 to 2019. So I was way off. Okay, so there are some. There would be some new episodes here. So anyway. uh, And then we have the decline of of, uh, linear TV. Uh, But despite that, Still, broadcast and cable are still making up, according to Nielsen. This is a this is from the Nielsen Gauge data that they put out every month. Uh, so in September, they just released their gauge for September. Still, more than 50% of TV watch time is still broadcast and cable. Uh, so we've not hit that. It is declining over time. It is getting smaller. But we still have not hit the, the less than 50% mark for traditional linear TV, which I'm sure all this behavior skews very old. This is for people, P2+, plus, everybody over the age of two. If we were looking at younger demos, it probably is. And I think we did look at this last year about this time. I got the September numbers across uh, different age groups. And the younger you are, as you would expect, the less traditional TV you watch. Um, and these are, uh, this is from last week, but this is an infographic that I made showing the web search in the United States for all these different sports leagues and wrestling companies, WWE, AEW, New Japan, UFC, and then other sports leagues like the NFL, NBA, MLB, college football, college basketball, NBA, Premier League, NASCAR, Formula One, La Liga, IPL, yes, in the U.S., IPL, MLS, and WNBA. And what we see over time here, again, this is Google Trends, web search, in the United States, not worldwide, in the United States, is we see for... I don't know. Let's let's start with the sports leagues here. The NFL, up and to the right. We do see a bunch of COVID valleys here, which people on YouTube can see right here for the NFL, right here for the NBA. But if you just pass through that, it's still up and to the right for the NFL, the NBA, MLB, college football, maybe not quite where it was. By the way, I, I use a 12-month moving average here to try to adjust for seasonality. But college basketball, still strong up and to the right. This is going from, I believe, 2004. I know we've only got 2010 labeled here, but this is going back to, I believe, 2005. So 2005 to September of this year is what we're looking at here for each one of these these, uh, plots. NHL up and to the right. Premier League really strong up and to the right as Premier League probably has gotten more popular in the United States. NASCAR is down. Formula One massive spike in the last couple of years. La Liga up and to the right. 
IPL up into the right, the big spike here. I don't know what that's about in 2016. MLS, mostly up into the right. WNBA, really up in the last few years. Meanwhile, uh, AEW, of course, which did not exist until 2019, is way up. Uh, New Japan, we see it's, again, this is U.S., peaking up here in probably 2018 or so, and then down to about half of what it used to be. Even UFC up into the right. Meanwhile, WWE is up peaking here, I believe this is around 2008 or so, then bottoming back out, and then peaking at about 2016, and then down and kind of flattened out in the last year or so. So I have argued many times that Google Trends often coincides, especially when you, if you can you know, intelligently uh, pick out the, the bad news stories, like the Chris Benoit stories and things like that. Trends, Google trends often coincide with consumer behavior, especially when we're looking at a, a large span of time, like we are here, which is years, um, that it does coincide with consumer behavior. And I, and I think this is consistent with uh, what I've come to believe, that WWE's popularity declined from 2016 to 2020 each year on an annual basis, and it has flattened out in recent years. Yeah, WWE is very similar to NASCAR, at least from a trend standpoint. From a fan base standpoint? Just looking at the Google Trends, like who's which one of these organizations has the most similar kind of chart trend to WWE? I think it's NASCAR. Yeah. yeah. Um, and NASCAR has some of the same issues that WWE has. Which are what? I think with NASCAR, you're looking at over this time period a retirement or loss of a group of drivers that were popular that I think more casual fans would know people like Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Dale Earnhardt who's, who's Jr. The biggest draw in it right now would probably be Chase Elliott, who's Bill Elliott's son. People aren't familiar with Bill Elliott. He's I think a lot about NASCAR. he wins all of the NASCAR. Um, NASCAR like most popular fan poll things. Is Dale Earnhardt um, Jr. still uh, still? No, Dale strong? Earnhardt Jr. is part of the group of very popular NASCAR drivers who have retired in the last He's 10 retired. years. Yes, wow. he actually had to retire a little bit prematurely due to concussion uh, issues, if I recall okay. correctly. But Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Dale Earnhardt Jr., I think people that fans would, at least like more casual fans would recognize, all those people kind of retired in a shorter period, in a quick period of time. And so they're in the process. There's other issues going Where's on. Where's the talent NASCAR. development? Is there? They just they just don't have a good uh, indie market to, to draw from, or it's about getting. Uh, well, an, an part of it program? is that the um, there's been a lot of turnover and um, loss with things like the teams, like the way ownership works. Is that the ownership? There's an ownership groups. They might own one car. They might own four or five cars, and they pay to fund the racing teams and some that that group has been kind of up and down as far as the investment that's being made at that end sponsorship for nascar is not nearly as good as it once was um you see a lot less like fortune 500 companies or national brands investing in nascar than you were in the mid 2000s and early 2000s um, a lot more regional kind of store chains and things that you wouldn't really think of as as major brands you don't see a ton of tier one advertisers sponsoring cars anymore they need to raid formula one yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> I think Formula One's increase in popularity. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think Formula One's like popular with like 
young northern yeah. uh, East Coast, West Coast people. I don't really um, – I think Formula One's created its own – new fan base i don't think there's an enormous amount of people who were like i was a big nascar fan now i'm into formula one i don't really care about nascar anymore um i think that there, and there's all sorts of debate about nascar strategy things like in the 2000s nascar made a big effort to kind of abandon its southern heritage in a lot of ways and they stopped running at a lot of the traditional rural southern tracks and it added a lot of tracks in places like california and places like the midwest um and the far west to kind of uh increase its footprint as a global sport. And I think there was some resentment from the traditionalist fan base um, that did that. But I would say that that is, is in a lot of ways somewhat similar to WWE's like WWE lost a lot of stars during the early two thousands and struggled to replace them. And that's why you sometimes see the WWE's product and, and interest is down in the, on that end. NASCAR somewhat's in a similar boat. So what I did with, with the data that we were just looking at is I went in and then I ranked all of those leagues in the top 10. With, with a top 10. So I didn't go beyond a top 10 because the, the data is, is not as granular further down. But I took the year of 2005 to the first nine months of this year, which is all we have. So every year, 20, 2005 to 2022, and I ranked all the leagues by web search in the United States. And what we come up with looks kind of intuitive. You guys know more about sports, so, so you can tell me. But we do end up with the NFL number one across all those years. The NBA, number two across all those years. MLB, number three across all those years. And then number four is more interesting. We have NASCAR at first, but then it's surpassed by WWE, which is then for a moment in 2010, around the time of UFC 100, right? UFC surpasses WWE, but then WWE regains the lead. And then the NHL in 2019 becomes number four for a moment. And we see NASCAR jump around. We see UFC has now become number four ahead of the NHL, ahead of WWE, ahead of the EPL. As the EPL has also grown, has grown in its rank across this timeline. NASCAR has declined in, in, across this timeline. WWE has declined across this timeline. Uh, La Liga and then the MLS have kind of percolated a little bit. And, of course, FF1, which was you know as, as high as number six, but down here mostly at, at eight and nine. And then is now up to number seven as Drive to Survive uh, has helped them grow in popularity. Does this look right? Does this look like real popularity that's being shown in this web search chart? I think so. I suppose it's kind of hard to compare like popularity in certain sports to others. I mean, NBA being so solidly ahead of MLB for that entire span is interesting. You would think back... In 2005, the MLB would be ahead of NBA, but perhaps Google Trends um, favors maybe younger fan bases than Does older baseball do better ratings than, than, than the NBA back then? Uh, I, if it, back then, I would assume yes. And even now, baseball ratings are, for the biggest games, very similar, I think, or if not be- or even better than than ratings for like the NBA Finals. Like the World Series does just as good as the NBA Finals. I think that's right, at least in total viewers, maybe not the key demo. Um, so like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that ML, NBA is more popular than MLB, but I would say that it hasn't been quite as linear as the, as the, um, chart would suggest. I mean, back in 2005, 2006, 2007, there was actually a lot of concern that the NBA was losing popularity. Um, I mean, we're talking about TV ratings all that, but I would say the NBA does way better tickets 
than MLB. I uh, I watch a lot of baseball, and there's a lot of empty stadiums. No, yeah, MLB's got funny. they got to MLB's got to draw more than than NBA. There's way more. Just the stadiums the are way bigger. Yeah, but I think if you take an way... average, though, though, like ah, I no no no, I think um, like the average MLB attendance. I'm sure that, going... that data is out there. Um, yeah, yeah, I know it definitely is. Like the average MLB attendance would be, and I've got it right here, everybody. Like it couldn't be more oh, than twenty thousand. So I would think MLB would surpass that, even on an average basis. Despite uh, all doesn't have, I don't have a league average. Now. I would say the Seattle Mariners, who ranked fifteenth in attendance this year, had an average attendance of just uh, twenty eight thousand five hundred ninety. Oh, wow! And that's for eighty games. Now, is this real attendance or is this for entertainment purposes? Uh, this would be real attendance, I assume. <laughs> Um, we did get a super chat from MJ that correlates with this here. Uh, MJ asks, the charts on sports and Google Trends are fantastic and correlate with sports gambling and streaming, which provides reach at scale, remote friction, but mostly gambling. Can't gamble on wrestling. And, and that's sure you can. Too. Yes, you can. You well, should you certainly can. gamble on wrestling. <laughs> in certain countries, in certain websites, you can absolutely gamble on wrestling. I may even know someone who has a perfect record gambling on wrestling. Um, but, uh, this is a, this is a good topic. I mean, sports gambling has obviously helped with, I think even more of the popularity of the NFL and the NBA and the, and, and MLB especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Joe Lanz of the flagship wrestling podcast and the NFL intelligentsia show that we do on Wednesdays has said that he thinks that fantasy sports and the popularity of gambling has led to things like NFL ratings, not declining during blowouts, that like if you look at like the ratings for like Monday Night Football, even if a game is is in hands, the fact that this the gambling aspect has led to those viewership being steadier throughout the game, even if it turns into a blowout. People aren't tuning out at the same rate because the the betting line and things like that has kept some level of, of viewer interest. Look at Thursday Night Football. Those games have been abysmal, but they're still, from from my knowledge, getting good ratings from the data we can get from Amazon. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't help that every single old old world media entity uh, is going all in on sports gambling as like a form of content, yeah. and everyone everywhere is trying. It's the most overcovered thing at the moment. Is, is Fubu, sports gambling? Fubu just dropped out of, of uh, sports betting. Um, Gold, do you do you do you sports bet? Uh, here or there, okay. not not often. I've I've, do, I've do, I'll do some football like parlays. Well, yeah, I'm not like. It's very, it's very rare for me, but I have friends that, that they do it every day. Is like, it legal oh, in New York America. State? Yes. Is it, is it legal in Massachusetts? It is still illegal in Massachusetts. It's been legalized, but they haven't put up set up the infrastructure for you to that, be able to gamble yet. So yeah. That's how it is with you, cannabis here. <laughs> it's yeah, legalized, if you, but there's no structure. If you wanted to gamble, you would have to go to New Hampshire or Rhode Island Um and play some bets. I know plenty of people who probably right around this time are, are on their way up to a, a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot in Nashua, New Hampshire to place some bets for the Sunday night, Sunday day of games and then drive back because you only have to place your bets in the state. You don't have to claim your winnings in the state. So you just have to take out your phone in like New Hampshire or Rhode Island and place some bets and then you can go back home and watch the games at your house. Well, the beautiful thing in New England is everything's so close to each other that those aren't far drive. Yes, that I, I only live about – I live like five minutes outside Boston and I probably – on a Sunday with no traffic, I could get to New Hampshire in 30 minutes. Yeah. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Okay. Uh, moving on to The Rock. Where are we here? I clicked on the wrong thing. There it is. So The Rock uh, did an article, did an, a lot of interviews. This is movie Black Adam. was coming out this past week, right? This past week or recently. Uh, he did, a, did an interview with Bloomberg in Canada, BNN, where he said, um, and this is, we, we think W's current operator, so this is a, a quote from stock analyst Mike Hickey of Benchmark. We think W's current operational shakeup and market consideration related to the value of live content is optimal for an acquisition attempt. That's from Benchmark's Mike Hickey in their analysis from August. The Bloomberg article says Dwayne Johnson demurred when asked if he would consider making a strategic investment in or accept a director position with the WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment, where, where he quickly became a household name under the moniker The Rock after making his debut in 1996. WWE co-CEO Nick, Nick Khan and I have talked about that, and we always enjoy that over a bottle of Terramana. Am I saying that right? Johnson's tequila brand. I love the wrestling business. I grew up in it. My grandfather and my dad started in Canada, where his father was born. So I'm not quite too sure if a board seat is in my future, but possibly other things are in my future for sure. Johnson was in Toronto last week to promote upcoming movie Black Adam, as well as the launch of his Zoa energy drink into the Canadian market. The Zero zero Sugar Beverage is the newest business venture that Johnson is juggling. In addition to Terramana Tequila brand, his clothing brand partnership with Under Armour and the relaunch of the XFL Professional Football League. That empire has reportedly pushed Johnson's net worth to nearly $300 million U.S., according to a recent tally by Forbes. Although a 2021 Vanity Fair profile suggested the rising valuations of his various businesses may have propelled the actor to become close to billionaire status. So The Rock and his childhood friend, Nick Khan, sounds like they have discussed, maybe someday, Dwayne Johnson having some sort of role as an investor in WWE. Um, and I, I, just, I didn't realize that Dwayne Johnson was amassing that much wealth. Um, as we know, he's, he's involved in, in the ownership of the XFL. Um, but I think you know, we were discussing last week Endeavor possibly acquiring WWE someday. Um, and this, this seems like a, a reasonable theory, too, that maybe Dwayne Johnson, not alone, but maybe with a group of investors, could end up, I don't know if, if in control of WWE, but could end up owning a large part at least um 
it's a nice, I don't know, it's an, he could certainly become an investor, right? What would, what would be stopping him? He certainly has the personal wealth to invest in WWE if he'd like to. Um, he could potentially be a board member. I wouldn't rule that out as a possibility, right? Or at least someone associated with his company um, could become a board member. I think what excites people or what has popped up on like news aggregation websites is the concept of like The Rock running WWE and that The Rock would be like either working with Triple Triple H or taking over Triple H or being or being the CEO. Don't get too comfortable, Paul Levesque. Yeah, The Rock, your your longest rival, longest your oldest rival, The Rock is is, is uh, he's coming for you. Is coming for your job, and he's friends with Nick Khan, so that's why he's yeah. going to get the job over you, Triple H. But uh, I, I find I find that very unlikely. I, I I don't think he would utilize his time to like run WWE. I don't think that's something that he's interested in. Um, yeah. Does he truly add more value than Stephanie and Nick and Triple H? More, I don't think so. Certainly not. He doesn't add what what Nick does, and he doesn't have the experience. Even I suppose that that Stephanie or or Triple H do, but he is somebody who's a big name in in, in entertainment, and he definitely has experience in the wrestling business. Um, he could do a lot of things for if he were to become more involved. Um, like even if you were to be on the board of directors or, or, or even just take on like a, a more of an ambassadorial role yeah. um, for WWE, he could do a lot because of his, his, his name brand and his value and just how overwhelmingly famous he is um, and how connected he seems to be in Hollywood. But I think the, I think like what excites fans is the idea that the rock is going to be like booking Monday night raw. And I just don't think that's going to happen. No. He doesn't really I- make, he doesn't really make a lot of appearances in WWE despite the fact that he seems to be on good terms with them and he's, he does stuff from time to time, but like he's not on WWE programming like a couple times a year. And you would think that that wouldn't be that hard, even for someone as busy as him to pull off. He makes more appearances for the NFL than he does the WWE each year. <laughs> I guess I, I, I like the idea of him having some sort of involvement more so than I do what's been the norm for WWE over the last decades in that I think there's been a, in the wrestling business in general and in W in particular, there's been a, an underappreciation kind of disregard for wrestling knowledge, which I think is proved by, by Tony Khan's ability to succeed despite no experience in the wrestling business, but uh, a knowledge of just studying it as a fan. Um, and I, I trust that Dwayne Johnson understands more about wrestling than the average person who would be investing or advising or being a member of the board of directors in addition to all the other things. I think the biggest involved in the entertainment and business world. I think the biggest thing that would happen here realistically would be probably like a large scale deal with seven bucks productions where they produce a lot of WWE uh, related content. And in that, especially now that they don't really have a WWE studios anymore. That that I can see, and maybe some deal with Peacock with Seven Buck Production, some big production deal. But mm-hmm. so th- got the, th- that would be realistic. What I think Rock's most involvement. Okay, so I've got the the, the chart up here. This is year to date. WWE closed this past Friday at seventy eight dollars. Seventy eight dollars. Does anybody remember what what uh, the stock price target is that we put on WWE uh, a month or two ago? I think it was eighty. Was it eighty? Seventy six. So I wrote a report on the 
the 14th or the 13th? I think it's the 13th. Uh, when it was 68, it was about $69. I said, uh, I think this this stock is worth about $76. So it has now surpassed that. Uh, we said back in March, when it was $61, that the W is at least slightly undervalued and has continued to grow despite there being a bear market uh, in, in, in the stock market as, as evidenced by the indexes. So W stock is continuing to improve. And... Uh, it didn't improve last year. Had a pretty weak performance across 2021, despite the indexes performing much better than they are this year. Um, does anyone have any guesses? As, as market capital, market capitalization is now $5.8 billion for WE. That's the value of all the shares combined. Nearly $6 billion. Uh, WE stock has been more valuable than this for a brief time. Uh, in the run-up to the last TV rights deal as some insane valuations were happening and then, then it, it crashed back down. Um, but it's performing exceptionally well in a market that's not performing well. Didn't perform well last year when the market was performing well. Why is this happening? Is it due to a broader trends in the economy and in the belief in the stock market that WWE stock as a business that has guaranteed revenue coming in over the next few years um, and is pretty likely to receive even more guaranteed revenue once these new TV deals pop up. There's a stability there that doesn't exist in a lot lot of other investments that would require a lot more uh, fluctuation based on other economic factors. So I I think it's because at least like like three things happening here. Part of it is the speculation about M&A, about uh, the notion that W might be sold, which I don't think it's going to be sold anytime yeah. soon. That feels like but, that might, at least that feels like it's kind of cooled off a little bit, like as far as from comments that we've gotten from other people, like even when we yeah. talked about the Aria manual comments yeah, last week, he said like, yeah, we'd be interested, but we've been told it's not for sale. Like, um, yeah, but there's still endeavor. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. still media out there though. Like we had a story this week and a story last week. There's still rumblings out there and that helps. Yeah. Well, MKM Partners put out a new report, and they raised their their price target. I haven't seen what their their research is, but they raised their, their price target, I believe, from something like eighty five and now up to ninety. So they they think this this stock is worth ninety dollars, um, and and others think it's worth about that much. I don't I don't have reason to believe it's worth that much, but I think what's happening is there's there's still speculation built into this about a sale, which isn't going to happen anytime soon. Um, there's I, I, maybe there's some something to to the market in understanding, which I think they should, but I doubt that they do understand that this company is better off without Vince McMahon behind creative and the content will improve and that will help consumer metrics. That's not a massive story to their financial picture, though, because most of their financial picture is about TV rights. But TV rights are coming up for renewal in the United States, probably getting finalized this spring, probably – Get John O'Ran to report what what the the rate of increase was, friend of Nick Khan. And what's happening is, as I think that that time draws nearer, some unforeseen event rising up and disrupting confidence in the the TV rights market just becomes less likely as the days between then and now become fewer, and that just sort of increases the confidence that they'll be able to pull off a good deal, uh, and and the company will get you know maybe a point uh, 1.5x increase maybe more maybe a little less but probably not that much less and it's increasing confidence in the financial future of wb i don't know what else 
there might be other things, but that's that's what I see. Okay. That's it. We can go to questions now. I did this in just about an hour. Yeah, we uh, we don't have any new super chats. That was the only one was the MJ one. So okay, okay. Any, anything else to add? Um, I guess we didn't talk about this today, but I'd be curious to know your thoughts on it. Um, so Chris Jericho signs a new deal with AEW. Yes. I guess it's an extension. Um, but it's going to take My him up. My impression is that it's a new deal. It's yeah, it is a new deal. It was referred to as an extension, but yeah. it's going to take him what up up, up to through two thousand twenty-five. I think. It's a three-year um, deal, right? So that would mm-hmm. be 2025, yeah, if it yeah. starts now or And soon. so I thought it was at least interesting that so, – so I think it was the week before that we got the information about John Moxley signing a new contract that which is a five-year deal that takes yes. him up to 2027. And so I think it's interesting that AEW is signing these guys, their top talent really, um, before the television deal has, has been made official. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious to know – um, what does that tell us about, or if anything, does that tell us anything about the television deal? Does it tell us what the expectations are for the deal? Moxley resigning, I can kind of see because Moxley does seem to be particularly unmotivated by money. Um, but Jericho, who's a very savvy business person, you would think I would I would think that Jericho would be interested in waiting until the next television deal is announced or is close to being announced, and then signing extension because AEW's budget is largely going to be determined by the size of that television deal. So is it notable that Chris Jericho has signed a, a long contract that takes him well past the the start of that new television deal without really knowing what it is? And what does that tell us? Does that tell us that they're very bullish on the the new television deal does it tell us that Tony Khan's willing to make a really big investment in retaining Chris Jericho without certain, without maybe having a certainty over what the new television deal is? I think it's interesting from a business perspective that a deal like that is getting done before the television deal comes through. Well, we don't know what Chris Jericho is going to get paid, so we don't know like what rate of increase he got over his prior deal. Could be a small increase, I imagine it is some sort of increase. Um, right, but if I was Chris Jericho, wouldn't you want to wait? To see what the television deal is going to be, so you know what well, kind deal's of budget deal is going to expire twenty twenty five, right? And mm-hmm. let's see, AEW's deal expires at the end of twenty twenty four, so he would be up for renegotiation around that time. So if if he expires, I don't know, I, I who knows when this this new deal really starts? It might have already started, or might start in the in the near future, depending on when his prior deal expires. But let's say it expired yesterday and he started his new deal today. He his deal, if it's a exactly three year deal, expires in the fall of twenty twenty five. At which point they're almost a year into their new deal. And you could still you know, if you're if you're Jericho, I suppose you could still say, Hey, now I know exactly what kind of T V deal you got and right. I was but Jericho- part of, of helping make that happen, so give me a commensurate raise. But Jericho doesn't also have an infinite time to kind of think about like, okay, what is the contract I'm going to sign when I'm 55 years old going to be like? It seemed like at least even though he's obviously uh, been very durable and he's his act has obviously aged very well and he still seems like he can perform physically at a high level despite being in his early 50s, it just seemed like this would be like the last really big money contract he'd sign, at least from a talent performing standpoint. And what's um, the alternative? Like a two-year deal? Yeah, or a shorter deal to so because 
you can set that up. Like, you know, if you're, if you're of a name as valuable as Chris Jericho, you're not really that worried about like getting injured and appearing suddenly less valuable. I think you would still maintain your value um, on a shorter term deal. And you would be able to set up um, a better negotiation strategy for between, if you were to go between WWE and AEW, and I'm sure WWE would be interested in making a competitive offer for Chris Jericho. Um, I just thought found it kind of interesting. Like Moxley, was one thing, but I think like Moxley really wouldn't go back to WWE and he seemed to be enjoying his time in, in AEW. But Jericho seems like at least someone who maybe has his own, uh, a tremendous self promoter. Yeah. He, but he, Jericho might have his own, um, uh, like, uh, things that would prevent him from going back to WWE or being as interested in going back to WWE. But I would imagine that just as a businessman, he would be interested in at least kind of hearing him out and, playing the two sides against each other to get the best offer for him. I just found it, I think a little bit interesting that he of all people signs an extension that takes him past the, the new television deals without really any confirmation of what those television deals are going to be. And what does that tell us? Does that tell us anything about either how the company internally feels about what those new t- TV deals is? If Tony Khan's very confident, they're going to be a really big increase. He's fine writing a really big contract for Chris Jericho. Um, or is Tony Khan being gambling on the fact that the television deal is going to be big? Um, we don't know, but I did find I find it at least somewhat notable that Jericho's now signed through through the television deals. I think he's confident, but I also think he's just trying to lock his stars up so they don't go to WWE. I, I think, I mean, I don't know Tony Khan, you know, what he's thinking, but just from what we've seen in the scrums and everything, I think he's getting a little worried about WWE's increase of popularity and now signing talent and i think he's just trying to lock up the stars so they don't go to WWE. and in a I mean, pr battle it's helpful to have these wins right aw's been under some strife with the, the all-out um fallout and things like that guy you know the andrade situation the malachi black situation kind of feel like you're losing some of the headlines it's very valuable to go out and say oh our two biggest stars which at the moment are, are John Moxley and Chris Jericho um, and along with MJF are really the people who the entire show is being built around at the moment. Those saying, Oh, we're signing. We got those guys locked down for a long period of time. Those guys want to be here and they're our biggest stars. And that's, what's really important. Um, I think that helps getting that message out there for sure. From a public relations standpoint. Yeah. I mean, like not, not knowing what he was getting paid before or what he's going to be paid in his new deal. I, I think are important pieces of the story. Um, if, if he's gotten some huge, the observer reported three, the observer reported $3 million per year is his old deal. And, and, but we don't know his current deal. I think that's like his, 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 his current Dave, his, his new deal. Dave speculated, like, I think everyone would, that he's gotten an increase, but he didn't say what the increase was, but he said it is, you know, he wrote, it it is believed that Jericho is making around $3 million per year as part of his, his, the contract he was working on. So presumably he's making more than that now is due to his extension. He's also saw, at least in an official capacity, his job description grow as he's now taking on a backstage role, um, which I which think I'm curious, which I'm curious is, is anything that's that is a meaningful difference beyond. Right. Well, it's, a, it's official on paper now, which would theoretically lead to an increase in, in compensation. But he was already an employee, according to him. Um, yes. But I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to know without knowing the actual difference between deal one and deal two. Or whatever this is, deal two or deal three, you know. Um, I think, I think when he says, I believe he said in, in the the comments that he gave to Variety, if if not in the press release, 
it, you know, words to the effect of that he, he feels just like a sense of ownership with AEW and he's really invested in, in seeing AEW succeed. And I think he's being honest in that. Um, I wonder what his mindset is as far as going back to WWE now that Triple H is in charge of creative and not Vince. I think he was, I would guess that he had a better relationship with Vince than Triple H. I'm, he seems to be friendly with, with Triple H, but I, but I wonder if there's not some, some issues and maybe a little bit of distrust from their history of being peers as talent together. Um, so I could see the, the prospect of him going back to W more likely if Vince was still there. It's, um, it's kind of interesting that the, the older wrestlers, their relationships seem to be very much pro Vince and maybe a rockier relationship with Triple H when they shared a locker room with him. Vince loved him. It was just, you know, Johnny Ace. But the, but the younger wrestlers are much more like, uh, oh, I'm going to, I want to go back. I want to go to WWE because Triple H is in charge and Vince no longer is, as opposed to the older wrestlers might be more inclined to say, I don't want to go back. They actually had a relationship with Paul Levesque and not with Vince. (laughs) This is a story for a lot of them. Um, Um, we did get a super chat. Uh, we'll get the super chat in here uh, from Primo Cologne. Uh, when AEW had 1.4 million on their debut episode, while NXT did 891,000, what do you think the Dynamite debut number could have been without the NXT opposed? So we're going back in time to 2019 to the first Wednesday Night War. What do you think that AEW number could have been if NXT wasn't on that night? It's, it's not the sum of those two values, um, but. Let's see what what is the sum of those two values, one four and eight nine nine one is one point two million or so, uh, or no, that's not right. I just multiply them. One four zero plus eight nine one is two point two two point three million, um, maybe two million, close to it, but not the sum. I think it it and and you know comparative to that, like it's not like if AEW wasn't there all 767,000 viewers, they would have watched Dynamite or something like that. You know, media, I think it's, it, we, we get into the trap often about the, the notion that, that media consumption is zero sum. Um, but uh, no, I would say somewhere near 2 million, 2.7, maybe 2.8. I think that, uh, I think that as we've learned over time is that the AEW viewership and the NXT audience are different that there isn't there isn't a ton of crossover viewers who are going to swing one way one week are going to swing one way one week and then another way the next week i think that um things even the evidence on tuesday suggests that you know nxt has nxt's fans and aw has AEW's fans and they're not people who are making their decision on what to watch and, and clicking back and forth the way they used to in maybe the monday night warrior i think there's and then I may have seen Nielsen data to this effect that I think there's, there's truth to that, but I think there's also like, there, there's, you can get Nielsen data that will tell you what other shows did my viewers watch. And the number one other show that let's at least in the Wednesday night war yeah. era, the number one show that other viewers were watching was the other wrestling show. That is what's the number one show that dynamite viewers were watching. It was NXT other than dynamite. And, and I believe vice versa. Um, people with Nielsen subscriptions can can look at stuff like that. Um, so it's not as if it's so not overlapped that there's other non wrestling shows. It's sports or something like that. Now it's 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 the other wrestling company that's the the number one show for 
the competition's viewership. All right, and no, I think that is all we have today. Okay. Uh, press thumbs up, like, share, and subscribe. Uh, give us a nice review on, on your podcast app if you like what we did today. I will be handing out free fist bumps for anyone who wants one uh, on November 19th, 2022, as the post-wrestling five-year anniversary show emanates from Newark, New Jersey, just down the street from the Prudential Center on the day of full gear. Um, plugs. Um, nothing really new from me this week. Um, last thing I did for the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, which you can find right here on YouTube, was um, some content on Ariel Hawani's interviews with Triple H and Tony Khan, which feel like they happened a million years ago. Um, now, uh, this week I'm going to be – don't have anything official in the can, but we will be working on uh, some amount of, of, of Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame coverage. Uh, that will obviously be the – the big topic over the next week or two um, as the ballots are out and the vote, the vote, the voting deadline, I believe is early uh, November. So probably this week we'll be producing some content uh, over at the gentleman's wrestling podcast on the hall of fame. You can follow me on Twitter at Jesse Collings to keep up to date with everything that I'm doing. Thank all. All right. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, as far as the rediscover- rediscovering indie side of things, uh, we're on a brief hiatus. Uh, but my uh, my co-host is back in the states, and uh, we'll be working on some He's new. Back from the junkyard. It's not the junkyard anymore. Back from the junkyard. Yes, uh, we'll be working on some content uh, in November that we'll have out for you. But just me personally, um, uh, Chris Gullo, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I have uh, some uh, upcoming comedy dates. I will not be in Grubbs, Arkansas, but I do have some upcoming comedy dates to uh, stay tuned for. Um, and then, uh, also, to uh, check out, um, I'll have it. I'll be doing some TikTok content. Uh, TikTok content. Yes, uh, I'm going to start with. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of vegan focused content. Uh, uh, it's a market that's not there. Uh, so uh, we're going to do some vegan candy bars right before Halloween. So that'll probably be my first TikTok. So I think it's Chris Gallo eighty seven on TikTok. Check her out. When, when are you going? When are you going to produce some content for the WrestleNomics TikTok? We, we can work on it. We can talk about that for sure. Some some Excel so. spreadsheet content. I yeah. Excel is, is big look at this. TikTok. Yeah, so Her, doing Python on TikTok, I think is like it's like dancing is one on TikTok, then food, and then I think it's Python on TikTok. I think yeah, it's like Python. that's the big three. I, I, we could do those videos where it's like you just you dress up like somebody asking, "Well, is, was CM Punk a draw?" Well, actually, he was. <laughs> yes. If if I can uh, help make that happen. We can work on that for sure. Let me know. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, We'll see you on Tuesday with our interview. Check that out on Tuesday morning with Philip Krakenbaum, who is the cage match admin. So we'll talk to you then on Tuesday. And then Golo and I will be back on Thursday with the Thursday 30 to talk about the TV ratings and things of that nature. And then we'll see you again on Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern.